Good morning, Emmanuel Church family. I thought I just heard Betsy's preaching. Is that right? Did I hear that? Hey. So for those who don't recognize me still, my name is Betsy Scott. My husband and I have been on staff here since August when we moved to the States from Croatia, where we were missionaries for nine years. I have the privilege of wrapping up our Proverbs preaching series today, and we will be discussing self-control. And actually, Mark just said to me, it's very ironic that we're preaching about self-control because Fat Tuesday is coming up on Tuesday, right? The day of indulgence. So I hope that you have a takeaway today that you will be able to apply this next week. Throughout our Proverbs series, here are some things that I've learned. How to have lives of authenticity. How to live lives of wisdom and discipline how to make decisions that are right, just, and fair. I hope today's lesson on self-control is no exception to these things. I want to introduce our main verse to you. This verse will serve as sort of an umbrella verse for us today, and we'll talk about some supporting things under that. It comes from Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, I don't want your hands to come up when I ask this question. Has anyone ever had an internal struggle with self-control? Maybe you know the right thing to do. You end up doing something else. Maybe you fill your time with 20 things that you shouldn't be doing, and it keeps you away from doing the one healthy right thing, maybe going to the gym. Maybe that's only me. Maybe you've had a hard time controlling your temper, especially when someone has hurt you or come at you when you didn't expect it. If you struggle with any of these things, I'm hoping the sermon today will be beneficial to you. What I want to do is open up in a word of prayer in which we can open our hearts to God and really ask that we would be receptive to what the Lord has for us today. So would you pray with me? Lord, you have created us to be beings um, that have choice, and with choice comes responsibility. We can often get caught up in doing, sometimes being reactive, sometimes doing the wrong thing. We take matters into our own hands when we should trust you. We become frantic, chaotic people. But today I hope that we can pause and reflect and discuss how we can trust you more when it comes to our self-control. I ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear what you would want to say, even if they're not the words that I say. We ask for your wisdom and your guidance and your strength in all of this. Amen. So last week I heard a kind of cool definition of self-control. It was from one of the upward coaches. I was listening in to a devotional that they were doing at practice. And he said this, self-control is doing what we should, not what we want. I thought, okay, that's a kind of neat definition. And I was at that time sort of selecting, what does self-control really mean? And so I have two other ones here for you. A more extensive one looks like this. It's the ability to control oneself. In particular, one's emotions or desires 
or even the expression of those in our behavior, especially in difficult situations. And then more simply, the ability to manage, and I would add well, to, the ability to manage well your actions, your feelings, and your emotions. So before we dive into the scripture today, you must know that Proverbs is called a wisdom book in the Old Testament, and it's actually filled with poetry. And so with poetry, often we read with metaphor, and that is our verse today. Our verse today compares ourselves to a city. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Another translation, the New American Standard Bible says it this way, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. So a couple of things here. That word for self-control is a, is a, a Hebrew word, matzar, which means literally to restrain, to control. But also, you see the word self there, it also can be said as spirit. And so I'm going to use those interchangeably today. The person who has no control over their self or their spirit is compared to a city whose walls have been taken down, they're no longer standing, and they've been broken into. It basically tells us this, this main idea, that the lack of self-control leaves us vulnerable. And I would add, and I'll explain it later, not in a good way. When we think of the purpose of walls at the time this was written in first century Judaism, you can imagine walls were there to protect, set up as a boundary, to keep people from attacking. So when we don't have control of our spirit, we are vulnerable to attack. We're at risk, and we're in danger. So now I'm going to shift and ask a question that will reveal that we're totally a nerdy family. Has anyone here ever played Settlers of Catan? Okay, so we have some lovers. I heard a gasp. What about... The diehard Catan players out there, do you own the variant Cities and Knights? Yes. <laughs> Cities and Knights is our favorite variant, but it's very chaotic. There's a lot going on at the same time, and if you love to play Catan, please go buy that variant. But a prominent feature in that variant is this, and you guys know, those who raise your hands, there is a barbarian boat that when you roll the dice and you get a barbarian ship, you must move that barbarian boat one step closer to the shores. And you, what happens is it will reach the shore, because it does, time and time again. And you're vulnerable. It comes to attack your cities. And you're vulnerable if you have not purchased knights. The way to purchase knights is that you have to use certain resources. So the reason this variant is chaotic is there's a lot going on. And you have to make tough choices in order to survive. If you don't protect your cities, and the barbarian ship hits, oh, you have to downgrade your city, which is really frustrating. And the thing about this game is that the barbarian ship comes again and again and again. It doesn't stop coming. And so it made me think that we need to be vigilant in protecting and controlling our spirits, ourselves. Sometimes we've spent too much time and resources on the wrong things, and we've left ourselves vulnerable. When this happens, we lose the ability to govern ourselves. The walls of our city have come down, and we're no longer protected. We have poured ourselves into things that don't make us stronger, 
but they only make us more vulnerable. Let me explain that word. When I say it's not in the good way, I think there are some personalities that need to be vulnerable to move toward healing and wholeness. I'm talking about the type of vulnerability that leaves yourself at a place of being wounded and maybe wounding others. When we have not protected our will, our minds, our souls, we've become vulnerable to damaging forces. Proverbs says in many places, and many, that losing control opens us up to all sorts of folly or foolishness. It's not a pretty picture. Foolishness in Proverbs brings us to destruction and ruin. One of my favorite preaching books, it teaches pastors that they need to introduce the trouble of the text to the people that they're preaching to. And it's when people can hear the trouble in the text, they start understanding the trouble in their own lives. And sadly, until people can see the trouble in their lives, they won't make changes. So right now, some of you have taken an internal inventory and you've suspected that there's some trouble in your life that has to do with self-control. And you're wondering, well, what do I do about it? Because I've just read the scripture and it says, a description, if you have no self-control, you're vulnerable. So I want to introduce today, for the rest of our time, a practical tool that I believe will help develop self-control. It emerges from Proverbs, and it also is written by one of my favorite authors who happens to be an Episcopal priest. And he developed this tool as a means of developing self-control. It's called, super easy, you're going to walk out of here saying it, SNAP. Okay, so SNAP is our tool that has emerged from Proverbs it's going to help us develop self-control. So S is for stop. N is for notice. A is for ask. And P is for pivot. The whole time we go over it today, here's what I want you to be asking yourself, though. If you are the city and your walls have come down, I want you to ask who is your builder and your designer. So the first letter means stop. And this is the first step of self-control. And it means a couple of things. I, I jotted down some for you. So take a pause, slow down, hold back, or restrain. These three verses help us understand it a little bit more. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Proverbs 12.16, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. And Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. So the first thing we do when it comes to controlling our spirit is stop. And you see here, instead of fully venting, which means showing all of your anger all at once, you can hold back. Rather than having a quick and hasty temper, you learn to stay calm. You stop you breathe. My friend who's a, a school psychologist in middle school, she teaches her um, middle schoolers who come in and they're all frantic and, and they're stressed out and they're full of anxiety. And some of them are making poor choices. And so she teaches them a tool. And maybe some of you have worked with children or a school psychologist. She says, we're going to breathe in for four. We're going to hold it for four. And then we're going to release it for four. And that's stopping. So even if you need to stop and breathe, it's like a little reset. The third verse tells us that we can, when we control our temper, 
this is really good news, that we can even overlook wrongdoings or insults. Many of us have felt destroyed or gutted by other people's words. Instead of stopping and controlling, we might have flown off the handle, which is basically saying the first thing that comes to your mind in anger, we could have stopped. Instead, we lost control of our inner spirit. So stopping actually takes controlling yourself, but actually there's something more important going on here. Stopping says, I need to rely on the grace of God and the strength of God, not my own will, not my own strength, not my own power, not my own intellect. It takes trusting. It takes actually eventually surrendering and acknowledging that we want God to be in control instead of us. Stopping says, God, you get to be the builder here. And actually, God is the master architect, and we're like these apprentices that don't know very much. And wouldn't it make sense that we stop and let God do what God knows is best? So when we lose control and take matters into our own hands and we don't stop, it's kind of like we're trying to play God a little bit there. So we need to stop as the first step of self-control. And here's the thing about stopping. When we do this, a bigger picture can emerge. A picture we didn't see before, a new option we didn't consider before. And this brings us to the next, which is N, notice. It brings us to be able to notice something. Some of us are so caught up in being reactive that we don't even stop and notice. We don't notice ourselves, and we don't notice others. But here's what N says, and here are three verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty hasty temper exalts folly. And this is like my favorite verse in Proverbs, I think. Proverbs 4, 7, it says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get insight. That's the only verse you remember today? Please, please, it's the best. It's just no, no punching there. Don't pull, pulls any punches, just straight to it. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. After we stop ourselves, this awesome opportunity opens up where we begin to notice. Sometimes we notice what's going on with us. Sometimes we notice what's going on with other people. The thing that N teaches us is to be a student of discernment. And actually, that brings us to, and I want to describe what I see coming out of Proverbs. It brings us to biblical wisdom. So I have just a couple of things, which there's a ton in Proverbs. But biblical wisdom is not just knowing, not just having the right piece of information, but really knowing what to do with the right piece of information. I was thinking as the whole time we were doing the Proverbs series about how in our culture it's needed more than ever because we're in a time where we have information overload but also people are making historically bad choices. We're at a place where like we are, we are acquiring information at the enormous rate and yet wisdom seems really rare. So Proverbs reminds me that intellect is different than wisdom Biblical wisdom also has a moral component, not just a mental one. 
Some people who are intellectually brilliant seem like biblical fools sometimes. So biblical wisdom helps us to discern. It discerns truth from error, good from bad, best from better, better from good. It brings righteousness, fairness. Biblical wisdom is also being able to see the right order of things. And let me explain that. When we stop and notice, do you know what happens? We start to see our motives. Proverbs teaches us that those who who pursue happiness as their goal, they might not find it. But those who pursue godliness and holiness will have happiness as a byproduct. So it's seeing the right order of things. Proverbs never promises that everyone that works hard will get rich. But it teaches that honesty is always more profitable than dishonesty. So Proverbs teaches us that if we live wisely, we don't suffer the consequences of folly, which is stuck in a loop of making bad decisions. When we notice, we discover new things, new options, new patterns of behavior, or even ingrained ways of thinking that were holding us back. When we notice, we realize that it isn't enough just to have these truths, but it's what to do with them. Have these truths reached our heart? Are we actually acting them out? It's about developing a mature process of thinking as a Christian. So that's N. So S is for, N is for, and A is for ask. I think asking in our culture is one of the hardest things to do. We believe we can do everything ourselves. We believe we have all the knowledge we need. We've lost the ability to be humble and teachable. It's hard to ask people for help. The thing about A is it's, it's about seeking counsel from others, but it's about seeking and asking for divine guidance. So in Proverbs 1.5, it says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Proverbs 12.15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I found it interesting that the word for what, the Hebrew word for wise counsel literally is the image of a rope pulling a ship and steering it and directing it. So it, it, I realized that when we read wise counsel, it literally is like saying that wisdom is saying, I can be led places. You know, there's an, I was thinking about the most popular ask passage in the, in the Bible that I can think of. And I feel like we sort of twisted it to make it work for us. And it's the passage that goes like this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And I was thinking about how this has led people to ask of God what they want. God, can you give me this? Can you give me this? Can you give me this? Some people say it's like treating God like he's a magic genie. But I want to understand ask, because sometimes what we do with with scriptures is this. We take the scripture, and we pull it out, and we put it over here, and we say, oh, I'm going to use this, and I'm going to use it the way I want to use it. And so what we haven't done is read the, the whole chapter before this, where it actually tells us how to pray. And here's what we read in 6. So reading in the chapter before will help us understand what does this mean? What do we ask for? How are we asking? Chapter 6, it teaches us how to pray. In verse 9 and 10, it says, Our Father, 
in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It doesn't say, let my will be done. If you're thinking of asking things um, that, that you treasure, uh, verse 19 says, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. If you're thinking of asking for material possessions and wealth, chapter 6 tells us you can't serve two masters. Instead, it also says don't worry. Don't worry about what you have. Don't worry about what you have tomorrow, what you do or don't have. But it says this in verse 33. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I started thinking that asking means, asking for divine guidance is saying, God, can I have more of you in my life? Can I see this situation from your perspective? But even to do that, you have to know God. So you have to say, God, can I know you more? How can I know you more? And like a traveler, we need to ask God to show us the way. So commentary says it this way of this passage. He says, ask often, ask with sincerity, ask with seriousness, ask and ask again. Make conscious effort of it. Be in the business of asking God to be present with you, to give you the strength to know and live out the kingdom way. For God is our master workman. He is, his supreme power established the foundations of the earth. He is the architect of all creation the one who builds and sustains it. So here's what I, I ask of you. Ask, and he will give you new plans for your city. So the, next, the last one is P. P means pivot. I think we all know what that word means. It's now basically means we have a choice. We have a choice to move in a different way, to make a healthier choice, to make a, a better option. Proverbs 4.4 4 says, Let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. And in Matthew 4.17, Jesus says, Repent of your sins and turn, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that Greek word for repent exactly means pivot. It means to take on a completely new purpose, new mind, new direction entirely. So I find it interesting. Remember that umbrella verse in the very beginning, a man without self-control is like a city with broken down walls? That verse comes after many, many verses, and if you read Proverbs, you'll see, where there's two personifications. There's lady wisdom and lady folly. And here's the thing. For many verses, we are given a choice. You can follow lady folly, or you can follow lady wisdom. Lady folly leads to destruction, and lady, lady Wisdom leads to new life. And we actually hear Lady Wisdom speak to us in chapter 1, 20 to 33. And we hear this. She is called, and we have not come. She has reached out, and she was not paid attention to. That we have ignored Lady Wisdom's advice and rejected the correction that she offered. So we learn something important also in those sections, that it's never too late to pivot. Lady Wisdom is speaking to the young and to the old. 
It is never too late to make the right decision, to make a healthier choice, to repent and be changed in mind and spirit. We learn from Solomon in Proverbs that knowing the right thing to do is not enough. Wisdom is not just knowledge of certain truths, but it's the ability to pivot. So there it is. There's your practical tool. What is it? And what does it mean? Stop, notice, ask, and pivot. The thing is, the thing is, all of these steps take trust, being aware, being humble, and being brave. All of them actually are predicated on this verse where it says in Proverbs, it is better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer another city. If we were playing Catan, we would definitely want to conquer each other's cities. But here's the thing. When it comes to self-control, we actually have to do the good hard work and think about the energy and the time and the resources to control ourselves, to protect our cities. But often we're focused on other people. Sadly, we continue to make unwise decisions and blame others for the consequences we experience. We're trying to conquer other cities. It's the easy way out. It's the way of Lady Folly. Self-control means acknowledging that we need God to be our master architect and master builder in our lives. And here's what we read in Ephesians. It is in his grace our God rebuilds his ruined city into a household with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. So what I want to do now is I want to give you a chance to internally respond to what you've heard today. The worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song called I Surrender. As they lead you in the song, I want you to think about some of these things. That God is in the construction business of our souls. Those who have broken down spirits are precisely those who need him. Those who don't think their spirits are broken, but think everybody else's spirit is broken is precisely someone who needs him. And those who have had their city walls breached and taken down and are vulnerable are precisely those who need him. Those who have constructed deep, thick walls to keep everyone out, including God, are precisely those who need him. Some of us need to let God do some demolition. God needs to get in there and take down the stuff that we've created and maybe clear out some rubble, which is a painful process, but that actually is the good news. That what God builds in place of the rubble is beautiful because he's the masterful architect. What God builds has no flaws. It's purposeful. It's intentional. And it's beautiful. So let's give this time to God. And when the worship team is done, I would like to come up and give you a blessing as you leave today.
So may you receive this blessing today, taken from 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. May you make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. May these qualities be ever-increasing in your life. May your eyes not be short-sighted or your mind forget the cleansing of your sins, but may you be drawn closer each day to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.